Hey there, and welcome to the Box Office Watch Podcast, where we keep watch on how much money movies are making and why. This is the show recapping the weekend of January 15th through the 17th, 2021. My name is Paulo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing well if you're here in the States and you had the three-day holiday for the Martin Luther King Jr. holiday. Hope you enjoyed that as well. Now, last week, there were rumors that we'd see films being pushed back from the various big studios, aside from Warner Brothers, to later this year due to the delayed rollout of the COVID vaccine. Uh, A week later, we still don't have any major updates on that front, though some more leaks around No Time to Die potentially moving from Easter to November emerged, uh, despite no official word yet. Um, That said, we'll keep you posted as those come out. Um, I'm expecting it probably sometime around the end of this month, uh, maybe early February. Uh, That being said, there is a bit of news with regard to various streaming platforms uh, and various streaming titles coming out. Uh, The biggest news of the week came from not any of the major studios, but from Netflix. Uh, Last week, they announced that there would be a staggering 71 films coming to its platform with something every week. Uh, I'm not going to go through each individual film, and you know, not all of them are blockbuster-level films budget-wise or in scope, uh, but there are a lot of big names attached to them. Names like Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Ryan Reynolds, Gal Gadot, Halle Berry, Jason Momoa, Amy Adams, Chris Hemsworth, Melissa McCarthy, and even Lin-Manuel Miranda, among many others, were featured. And there are other projects, uh, including... It- featuring you know Idris Elba, Dave Bautista, Jennifer Lawrence, even Leonardo DiCaprio, and many others. Um, there are also a number of sequels and animation projects as well, including one we'll actually talk about a little bit later. Um, again, I, I don't expect every film here to be a hit, um, especially... But, you know, as, as again, as the vaccine world is going to be slow across the states and exhibition is going to be, you know, delayed coming back, um, you know, this is, just, again, kind of the indication that the real play to building your subscriber base and competing in the streaming war is content and having unique content on your platform. So, you know, with 71 films, I'm sure at least one or two of these will become must-see hits. Um, I saw a report that, you know, this this series Lupin and also uh, Bridgerton are apparently, you know, big hits on Netflix recently. Now, continuing on with Netflix, according to Seven Park data, uh, Netflix actually ended up having the highest share of time, you know, total time spent uh, among panelists, you know, in their survey um, in the month of December compared to the other platforms, uh, which bodes well for Netflix, especially with the strategy. Um, Though that said, with regard to reach, uh, Disney Plus actually took the crown here uh, with The Mandalorian and Soul Soul, uh, having the largest share of consumers by a country mile, um, as opposed to to some of the other uh, series that Netflix had going for them. Now, obviously, you know, getting, you know, again, getting more content for the platforms is the play when it comes to the streaming wars. Um, and so, you know, there's some other news I want to talk about with regard to streaming titles. Uh, Chris Pratt's science fiction action film, The Tomorrow War, was supposed to come out last Christmas and then later again this month uh, when it got delayed before being pulled from the schedule completely by Paramount. Um, now it looks like Paramount's doing Paramount things and selling it off to Amazon. Uh, it looks like Amazon's closing in on a $200 million uh, you know, acquisition fee um, and it's been stopped around to other platforms like Netflix and, and so on as well. 
Now, I'm not 100% sorry, but I want to say this is actually one of the largest and most expensive acquisitions Amazon will have done. Uh, Borat 2, for example, cost $80 million, and then Coming to America, the Eddie Murphy sequel, uh, cost them $125 million. Um, they also bought the rights for Regina King's awards contender One Night in Miami that came out this past weekend. Um, no specific numbers, but apparently it was the largest deal for an independent film. On the Disney side, you know, there are rumors kind of firing back that, you know, Chris Evans, another Chris, uh, was in talks to come back as Captain America to the Marvel Cinematic Universe in some capacity. Um, apparently, though, according to Twitter, that's news to him. So this just may be a false rumor or this may be a negotiating tactic um, just to you know, drum up the support and see, you know, Chris, yeah, all these people definitely want to see you come back. Um, but whether that's the case or, or whatnot, you know, we'll, we'll see in the future. Um, I, I think there are definitely cases where they've said would not signing on they don't know what they're talking about and then they eventually get signed on so um, in any case in more solid news a Disney owned Searchlight Pictures uh, will be having a day and date release for its Oscar contender Nomadland by Chloe Zhao uh, on February 19th both in theaters and in Hulu um, as well as you know an an IMAX exclusive launch on January 29th now aside from you know Disney doing a day and date release which is kind of you know uh which is kind of HBO Max's thing. Um, what's really interesting is that this is the first film from 20th Century, which again, Searchlight is a, uh, a subset of 20th Century Pictures. Um, this is the first film post-acquisition that Disney is premiering on Hulu. Um, not Disney+, Plus, but Hulu. So, you know, we'll see if Disney continues on with the strategy of having other Fox properties in the future follow this suit. Um, I don't think maybe the major franchises will do this, but I could see them moving some of their more, um, especially if the pandemic continues on longer than anticipated, some of those smaller feature films. Um, you know, maybe a horror film such as Antlers, which has been delayed a very long time. Um, in any case, I'm super excited. Uh, this is going to help out for the Oscars Death Race podcast. I'm going to be doing in about a month or so. Uh, Apple TV is reportedly financing Ridley Scott's film Kitbag about French Emperor Napoleon Bonaparte, who's going to be depicted by the legendary Joaquin Phoenix. A production is slated to start in 2022. Uh, no budget has been set, but I just had the feeling this is going to be very expensive. Um, and of course, you know, given all this, this is, means it's going to be streaming and premiering uh, on Apple TV+. Um, apparently, 20th Century Fox actually passed up on this, so uh, we'll see where this one goes. Um, this is not definitely not the first Apple uh, TV Plus attempting to you know get like a, a premiere or a uh, or a you know uh, a prestigious director. I believe they're working on this Martin Scorsese film coming up, as well as you know they got the Greyhound from Tom Hanks. Um, now speaking of Apple TV Plus, you know apparently they're extending the 12 month free subscription period uh, to 21 months, uh, going through July 2021. And the fact that they're extending uh, the free subscription period uh, kind of points that you know maybe their acquisition of new users isn't really going where they want to, um, and they're trying to get a, a more solid subscriber base first. Another streaming service uh, trying to continue to entice users, HBO Max. They're extending the 22% off the offer uh, through March 2021. Now, whether or not this is the timing indicates it might be to help out with, uh, you know, quarterly subscriber numbers we'll see um but they have to their credit made moves to you know help with that value proposition uh, the biggest uh, no pun intended uh news from there is that they seem to have actually worked out a deal with legendary pictures and they will be doing a day and date release of godzilla versus kong 
not only that, they're actually going to be moving it up two months early from a May 21st release date up to March 26th. Uh, no word officially if HBO or Max actually paid out the $250 million that Legendary was hoping to get from Netflix for the deal. Um, but, you know, this is, again, definitely seems like a bid to try to get people to subscribe to HBO Max uh, before the end of Q1. Uh, now, that being said, you know, there still is no update on the deal, on a potential deal between, uh, you know, HBO Max and Dune um, and, and Legendary Pictures, right? Last we heard, you know, it's still slated for an October 1st release date using the day and date release on HBO Max and in theaters. But Dennis Villanueva and Legendary are still pushing for a theatrical exclusive release as far as we can tell. Now, notably, in the sizzle reel HBO Max put out earlier this week, uh, Dune had definitely minimized how much it was showing up compared to the earlier trailers. Kind of alluding to, I think, the fact that uh, the the images of Dune were kind of used for promotion of HBO Max without consent. So um, I think that's that that's kind of what's going on there. Um, you know. In, in a similar vein, right, uh, to last week's reporting, you know, we don't have full details on, you know, if every film is still going to do the end release. Uh, I'm still keeping an eye out on Will Smith's King Richard. But, you know... Um, HBO Max trying to play nicer with creatives and talent by, you know, treating all their films as if they were blockbusters and paying them out more on the back end. Um, you know, it, it it seems that, you know, there were reports that Denzel Washington, um, who has his film uh, The Little Things uh, coming out later this month, um, is slated to make at least his $20 million fee plus an additional back end fee, um, way more, which is way more than the $10 million that was offered and accepted by Gal Gadot and Patty Jenkins. So, you know, this move that HBO Max is doing of, of, you know, suit first and then ask forgiveness later, definitely going to be super costly for them. And for their sake, you know, I, I hope it works out. Uh, we got a, also, you know, in that sizzle reel I mentioned earlier, got a, a first look at a lot of other upcoming HBO Max films. Um, the R-rated Mortal Kombat film slated to come out, uh, I believe, in uh, also in March, it might have been April. Um, you know, coming out in April, uh, produced by James Wan. Um, you know, looks pretty decent. And then we also got some the first looks at Bugs Bunny and LeBron James in the upcoming Space Jam sequel. Uh, now on the flip side, you know the the uh, you know in, in, instead of moving up earlier, uh, as with uh, Godzilla vs Kong, uh, the Sopranos prequel Many Saints of Newark is actually going to move from a March 12th date to September 24th, uh, which I think might be mostly for awards consideration, but we'll see. That seems awfully early for award for award showing for me. Um, let's see. Uh, in in a you know more unique content, uh, Tessa Thompson, um, who you know has done a lot of great work with you know uh, Thor Ragnarok, Creed, and Sorry to Bother You, started her own production company, and she's actually going to be she signed a deal with HBO and HBO Max to give them a first look deal on all of her projects, which seems pretty interesting. So we'll we'll see. Um, you know if if. Uh, HBO Max's, it seems like HBO Max's um, apologies to the talent industry um, may be starting to rub off, but we'll see if this continues on. And finally, you know, in the latest news from the Snyder Cut world, apparently uh, they are instead of a miniseries, as was previously thought, um, the final cut of the Jack Snyder's Justice League uh, will be released as a four-hour movie, which. Wow, that's that's going to be one to sit through. Um, I hope it's everything that the fanboys hope for, uh, less headsville. Um, anyway, that's still slated for a March release later this year. 
Now, uh, counter to all this, there was an interview, you know, with Universal executive Peter Levinson, uh, who said that the plan for Universal uh, was still, you know, despite all the moves by HBO Max to, to do day and date release, um, was to stick to the 17-day theatrical window, not to do day and date release anymore in the future. Um, you know, specifically, they were referencing, you know, the smaller films like uh, Promising Young Woman, which came out recently. Um uh, and and that there wasn't any plans to premiere films on Peacock. Um, so you know we'll see which strategy HBO Max's uh, day and date release or you know Peacock's and, and Universal's uh, seventeen day theatrical window before PVOD, which one kind of lives out in the long run. Now, speaking of theatrical windows, some exhibitor news. Uh, one, on looking on the Wall Street side of things, one veteran analyst uh, upgraded Cinemark from a neutral to a buy, uh, which seems pretty positive and hopeful for Cinemark's eventual recovery uh, and that of the industry overall, you know, post-pandemic as the vaccines roll out. Um, and then another report I saw actually highlighted the chain I don't talk about all that much. Um, so the big three exhibitors are in the States are, of course, AMC, Regal, and Cinemark. Um, however, Marcus uh, was the fourth largest with uh, 1,100 and... Uh, yeah, 1,110 screens in 91 locations, so about 12 screens per location uh, in 17 states. Um, now, while AMC is scrounging around for cash, you know, to try to keep operations going, um, mostly due to rent, Marcus actually owns all of their own real estate as opposed to renting or leasing, um, which means there'll be less conflict come down the line and possibly being forced to close locations, and they'll also more likely to be profitable sooner. Um, for example, you know, uh, Marcus paid only 10% of its 2020 revenue in rent compared to 42% for Cinemark and 76% uh, for AMC. So, you know, again, just a heads up for anyone listening to the podcast or hopefully for some investing tips, which, reminder, none of what I'm saying should be construed as investing advice, uh, invest in your own risk, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that said, you know, the same analyst, Eric Wold of B. Riley Securities, has had Marcus as a buy rating uh, all the way back in July, while he only recently just upgraded Cinemark to that status. Now, on that note, let's wrap up the show uh, by taking uh, talking about some of the numbers, first domestic and then international, some really interesting stories overseas, actually. Um, note that the following numbers are for only the three-day, Friday through Monday weekend, um, and will likely shift a little bit with the extra Monday off. Um, don't have finals for that yet, obviously recording on Monday evening. Um, now, first off, it only took uh, four weekends for Wonder Woman 1984 to be dethroned from its top spot. Uh, the Marksman from Open Road Films opened to 3.2 million in 1,974 theaters per theater average of $1,633. This is the second Liam Neeson film from the same distributor um, to open up in the top of the box office since the pandemic, the first being uh, Honest Thief. Um, I guess he's found what works for him. Uh, let's see. Uh, in second place um, is Wonder Woman 1984. Uh, in his fourth and dropping 13% to $2.6 million in 2,201 theaters for a per theater average of $1,181. This drop is somewhat propped up by it being, you know, over the long weekend. So, you know, Sunday's numbers, I think, are a little bit higher uh, week over week than they would have been otherwise. Unfortunately, we're not getting daily reporting for Wonder Woman 1984. Um, you know, currently, it sits at $35 million domestically. Now, overseas, it gained another $5.2 million to sit at uh, $141 $1.7 million worldwide, uh, officially opening in second place in, in Russia this weekend uh, behind the local Disney film uh, The Last Warrior Root of Evil. Uh, we'll talk about more about that in a little bit. 
Uh, in third place, we have Crude's A New AIDS in week eight, making $2 million, again, actually gaining 13% week over week in 18,000, 1,855 theaters per through the average of $1,100. I guess, you know, gaining over just because of the holiday weekend and, and people bringing their kids out to the movies. Um, domestic date so far is $39.2 million. Uh, the reports from Deadline uh, actually peg uh, Cruz at number two if you consider the entire four-day weekend domestically um, over Wonder Woman 1984. Now, abroad, it's grossed another $2.2 million to sit just shy uh, of um, you know, $135 million globally. In fourth place, we have Oscars contender News of the World making $1 million in its fourth weekend at a 15% drop in 1,953 theaters per through the average of $538. Lifetime earnings are $8.5 million, all of that domestically. And running out top five is Monster Hunter at $920,000 in 1694 theaters, a 16% drop with a per the average of $543, uh, getting up to $9 million total domestically, just under $20 million worldwide. Now, overall domestic, the box office sits at $11.3 million. Uh, compared to this time last year, the top film uh, was the 2020 box office king, actually for the domestic box office. Bad Boys for Life opened up a year ago uh, from Sony, making $62.5 million in its opening weekend, out of a total of $166.2 million. Um, also, you know, Doolittle opened up a year ago, so make it that what you will. Uh, $21.8 million. Now, moving abroad, a couple of interesting stories here. Uh, first, the aforementioned Last Warrior, Root of Evil, that topped the Russian box office. So, obviously, Russ is not a market I normally cover, so bear with me here a little bit. Um, it, this film is a sequel to a 2017 fantasy comedy co-produced by Disney called The Last Warrior that focuses on various Russian folktales, including Baba Yaga. Now, you know, obviously I don't have a super reliable source for resident box office numbers, um, but from what I can tell, uh, Root of Evil from 2017, or sorry, uh, The Last Warrior in 2017 made about $30 million total in its lifetime. Uh, the Root of Evil sequel, you know, The Last Warrior, looked like it premiered actually back in uh, December, in, in January 1st, um, beginning of the year, and over the three weekends uh, to this month have made about $24 million, about $8 million per weekend with very low drops. Um, so, you know, this is definitely, looks like it's probably going to beat the record for its, fil for, you know, its prequel, um, which is which is super, super good for them. Um, the total is, I think, at this point in January, probably good enough to get in the top grossing films of the year so far worldwide, um, with the other film uh, being another one from market I don't usually cover. In India. So the Tamil slash Hollywood, not Bollywood, Hollywood with a K, uh, action thriller Master opened not only in India, but in another number of other markets as well, with estimates that it made about $23 million worldwide. Again, hard to say for sure since I don't normally pull these numbers, but uh, Deadline is reporting it made about $11 million from Wednesday through Friday, and the weekend totals could very well have it be the highest grossing film of the weekend uh, globally. Now I think that's the this might be the first time in a very long time that an Indian film has has had that that honor. Uh, obviously, while it did open in Australia, New Zealand, Singapore, and even the U.S. and the United Arab Emirates, uh, the bulk of its revenue came from India, where it was showing in four languages. Uh, it's the first major film to hit Indian screens since the pandemic, so obviously there's a lot of pent up demand, um, and there's still a 50% capacity on theaters at the time. Uh, so you know this is definitely impressive all around. Uh, regardless, you know pretty interesting to see that India uh, and Russia are having their own local hips taught 
top the box office uh, right now. Uh, moving on to another market where you know local hits are dominating the box office, uh, China. Uh, in first place uh, for this week, we have A Little Red Flower made uh, $11.7 million. Total to date, $183 million uh, to date. Uh, in second place, Sockwave 2 uh, made $7.8 million this weekend, a total of $163 million. In third place, The Soul, uh, not a Pixar film. This is a local film. Uh, debuted at $7.6 million, bringing... Along with previews, $9.6 million. In fourth place, we have Whist Dragon, which is an animated film debuting at $5.5 million in China over the weekend with previews, bringing it up to $7.1 million to date. Now, notably, this is actually one of the films uh, that we mentioned uh, that's going to be coming out on Netflix later this year. Uh, this is a co-production between the Sony Pictures Animation and a local animation studio, Base FX, and it has the voice talents of John Cho, Constance Wu, Jackie Chan, Jimmy O. Yang, and one of my personal favorites, uh, Internet Sensation and Magic the Gathering enthusiast Jimmy Wong. Uh, this film is actually, part, again, part of Netflix's slate of films coming out this year, meaning that Sony sold the non-China rights for this film to them, so I'm super excited to check this out whenever it comes out. Uh, and then rounding out the top five in China, Warm Hug uh, net another $4.7 million to bring its total to $114 million to date. Now, just outside the top five, we have Seoul, Pixar's Seoul, uh, bringing in its China total up to $42.9 million to date. Um, still not yet quite at second place for Pixar films uh, in, the, in, the, um, in the region so far. Uh, we'll see if it's able to get to $54 million and, and beat Incredibles 2. Um, worldwide, its total sits at $57.4 million U.S. dollars. Now, in other markets, COVID is still putting an emphasis on exhibition, obviously in Europe. Uh, Malaysia uh, is going into lockdown, so it'll lose its movie theaters for a while. Um, and in the UK, back to Europe on the side of things, not only is exhibition affected, but actually film and TV production, right? So there's apparently a, um, a exception for travel restrictions, um, meaning that now production, you know, if you're coming to produce a TV or film, you're required to quarantine for 10 days now, um, which is apparently not the case previously. So that's going into effect now. And then, you know, moving over to Japan, unfortunately, again, due to the co rising COVID cases there, there's a state of emergency. Um, this delayed not only the Nintendo World uh, opening that was supposed to happen in February, um, but the fourth Rebuild of Evangelion film, which was supposed to come out in January 24th. Um, I reported last week that the midnight premiere was uh, delayed. Now just the entire film's been delayed, um, and we don't know when it's going to come out, though, supposedly 2021. Um, though, you know, to end the podcast on slightly happier news, um, we did get confirmation that Demon Slayer, right, that the film that, that broke the box office in Japan last year, um, we know it's coming to the States under Funimation Films, um, but we got confirmation it's going to have a subbed and dubbed version of the film for its eventual U.S. release. Uh, various leaks have suggested it will be late February, maybe like February 26th or so here in the States, so we'll keep an eye for that, um, wherever it, obviously this will be wherever it is safe to do so. Uh, in any case, that is an end for this episode of the, of the Box Office Watch podcast. Suit me ideas for what I should be covering uh, via email at boxofficewatchpodcast at gmail.com or on Twitter at BOWatchPodcast. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, iTunes, or Google Play as well. Leave a review on your podcast service of choice or on podcast.com or just share with a friend. Uh, any of that's super helpful. I'll include links to those in the show notes. Numbers used in the show come from thenumbers.com. Our intro and outro music come from Kevin MacLeod. You can find his stuff at competech.filmmusic.io. Editing and production is provided by Ninja Boy Media. Until next time, this has been the Box Office Watch Podcast. And remember, our watch goes on. <laughs>